All right, everybody, we're welcoming back to another episode of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Phillips. Like we talked about in the last time, I'm going to be doing a lot of these probably more solo because Rafal is over in Israel. Uh, he's been over, he made a trip over there safely for those who are wondering concerned. He seems to be having a good time over there. Obviously, there is a big time zone difference. He's about seven hours ahead of the eastern time zone. So, you know, it's uh, about 4 o'clock now. It's 11 o'clock where he is in there. So, unfortunately, he wasn't able to make today. And kind of understandable, you know. Uh, so, we'll see if he can make some more shows coming in the future. But for now, it's just going to be me. Today, I think we have a really good episode coming for you guys. At least I think it is. You know, we're going to talk about... Shohei Otani and his injury, unfortunate news there. We'll talk about Steven Strasburg retiring from baseball. And then, of course, we're going to talk about a new thing. I mean, we do we are called the Replacement Level Podcast, and we do talk about replacement level players. This time, we're going to talk about replacement level teams. So something a little different, obviously, because we've mostly been focusing on players and kind of what they've been doing the last couple of weeks and how they've not been very good. And so this time we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk about the overall teams and everything and their, their struggles. So, uh, today, you know, like I said, it's going to be a fun show to do for sure. Uh, first off, we're going to start off with the news from Steven Strasburg retiring from baseball, uh, kind of, I don't know if you want to say surprising or shocking or not, considering he's been out of baseball for a while now with an injury. But ultimately, he is retiring from baseball because of injury. And I do want to make a note of that because it is kind of important. Because he is retiring from baseball because of an injury, he still gets to be paid. So good for him, I guess. I mean, good at getting paid. Unfortunately, he's retiring because of injury. But, you know, who doesn't want to get paid and not work? I mean, that's kind of like the ultimate dream job I think everyone has out there. So good on him. Uh, he's had a great career. Obviously, he won the World Series with the Nationals and was a big reason as to why they wanted him and Max Scherzer. And then also Patrick Corbin was another big part of that rotation that kind of helped fuel them. They still had Juan Soto at the time, and they still had Trey Turner So and Anthony Rendon as well. So, you know, it was a good team. It was a little bit of a surprising run for sure just because, you know, you look at some of the other teams that were in, in the playoffs that time and um, – Certainly, Washington Nationals were a team that people thought could win it, but there were obviously other teams that you know people thought were going to be the better odds-on favorite to win. But they did win it, so Strasburg does get to retire as a World Series champion, which is something not everybody gets to say in their career, so good for him. Now I'm going to shift over some bad news, and like I said at the beginning of the show, we're going to talk about Shohei Otani and his injury. He is done for the year, pitching. That is, he's done for the year pitching. He's still bat, but he has a torn UCL injury and a ligament in his arm, I should say. And unfortunately, that's going to keep him off the mound for the rest of the season. And it really is unfortunate news, and it is a little bit worrisome moving forward. This is a guy who's already had Tommy John surgery in his past. I believe he had the most recent one was when he was over in the major leagues. Um, I think it's first year, second year, something like that. So this is a guy who's already had some arm issues. He's obviously a very special player. I mean, we're looking at basically last season and this season as a player who was successful at the highest levels of being a two-way player. And we've never seen it before. And quite frankly, not only have I never seen it, he was great last year. And you could say he's even better this year. So it was really, I mean, it's really just incredible to see this guy be able to go out there and crush bombs off opposing pitchers and then make opposing hitters look foolish. And we all know that the LA Angels are a team that I like to laugh at their misery at. And this is 
uh, really, really unfortunate. I do kind of feel for them a little bit, not a whole lot, uh, but I do feel for them a little bit because Otani is a special player, and there's a lot of talk about how this could be his last season in L.A. with the Angels organization, and now he's hurt. And he'll still be able to help them you know, offensively, but he's not going to be able to go out and take the, the ball and pitch for them every five days that they have out there and everything like that. So that is going to hurt the rotation, and let's be honest, the rotation wasn't that great or that deep to begin with. So losing Otani is going to be a big blow for them as well. I'm going to say it's the the final nail in the coffin for the Angels' run at, at a playoff berth. And, I mean, just think about it. They've got two of the best players to play in baseball, and they couldn't make the, world, they couldn't make the playoffs one time. Not, not one time. I understand not winning the World Series. That's fine. But you're telling me you've got a Shohei Otani. You've got a Mike Trout. You've got money that you're spending on players to make a team better, to make a, you know, a, a playoff caliber team caliber team hopefully a world series caliber team and you can't even make the playoffs one time you don't even win the division either like that's the easiest way like you know you hear a lot of sports talk like just win the division that's the first goal we win the division win the playoffs is the easiest road to get into the playoffs is winning the division they couldn't even do that granted there was that team in houston that was pretty good even if they did cheat a lot of games, but they still were, you know, a solid team. And you had Oakland that had a couple good years. Now they're back into the seller's market and just toiling in misery. And, and you know, the Mariners had a long playoff drought that was finally broken last season. And meanwhile, you've got the Angels here who I believe if they don't make the playoffs this year, this is going to be their eighth consecutive season of not making the playoffs. And you have two of the best players in all of baseball and you can't make it in the playoffs one time and you have money that you're willing to spend to go out and buy some of the best players to help you get there and you still can't make it. I mean, that's just hilarious and it's part of the reason why I like enjoying their pain. But, you know, for Artani's sake, this is a guy who's going to be most likely a free agent after this season and there's a lot of talk about will he resign with the Angels or will he change teams? And not only will he change teams, now he's coming, going to be heading into free agency coming off an of injury. Granted, teams will still want to pay him big bucks because the dude can hit bombs and is an incredible baseball athlete. I mean, the guy not only can crush pitches, he can steal bases on you too. It's a very underrated aspect of his game that doesn't get highlighted enough, but the dude is very good at stealing bases, and he's not going to you know, be pitching for him. And that's, that's the big draw for Otani is the fact that he can do all that on the offensive side, and then he can turn around and go and shut you down on the other side of it. And so while I've seen some reports saying that because of this injury, we'll never truly know what the bit with the, you know, the most money he could have gotten, the kind of contract he could have gotten. And that probably does have some merit to it. There, there is some logic to it. I don't know if I entirely buy it. I still think this is a phenomenal player that if you got a chance to get him, go get him because he's going to make your team better. Not to mention, he seemed like a really cool guy, a really fun guy to have in your clubhouse, in your locker room, a really good teammate as well. So, yeah, go get him. But uh, it's really going to be interesting to see what comes of his arm injury because a UCL injury, a lot of times what we see happening is some pitcher gets this injury. And maybe they don't go to surgery right away or anything like that. Maybe they do some rest, some rehab, uh, you know, stuff like that. But that Tommy John surgery is always kind of lingering in the background. You will see almost every time Otani, you know, takes the ball 
And we hear, oh, Otani left with an injury, and it's an arm injury. Everyone's going to hold their breath and just hope that it's not another Tommy John injury because that's going to take him out for a season. And nobody wants to see that. But at the same time, we're so far deep into this year, if he does get surgery in the offseason, it's really going to delay his ability to get back on the baseball field, specifically on the mound. I believe he'll still be able to hit, but I think we saw when he had his last Tommy John surgery and he wasn't pitching, he, he kind of wasn't the same offensive player that he that we know him to be now so that's you know ultimately unfortunately this injury may end up if he gets surgery that is it may end up costing him some time in the in the start of next season so that is something that teams are going to have to weigh when going after him Again, I still think teams are going to be looking at this more of a big picture. Like, okay, maybe the first year we get Otani, he isn't the Otani we know. But the following season, he's going to be the Otani we know. Or at least we're expecting him to be the Otani that we know in, in the past. So I'm not too worried about it. I mean, maybe if you can work out some contract details, some money, maybe you say, okay, year one, we're going to pay you throwing out numbers here. Year one, we're going to pay you $20 million, And then every year after that, we're paying you $30 plus million. You know, like we're going to... You're not going to paid much at first because we're not expecting a lot from you and because you're coming off an injury. But after that, we're kind of expecting you to go back into your old form. So at that point, we're totally comfortable in paying you what you're worth for those years. But, you know, obviously when you're less than 100%, we're not going to expect 100% from you. So we're not going to pay you for that. But, um, again, that's just all speculation on my part, just making up numbers, just trying to kind of make sense of what a deal possibly could like could look like it's going to be interesting also with his contract to see how much money he does get. I mean, we've seen a lot of big-time contracts handed out. Julio Rodriguez, Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, um, Aaron Judge. You know, those guys got big paid big bucks, and rightfully so. It's going to be interesting to see if Otani kind of resets the market for the largest contract in Major League Baseball history and most likely all of sports as well. Or is he going to settle in where he's one of the top top deals out there in Major League Baseball? You know, again, this injury is going to play a part in what teams decide to do with him. I think, again, I think there are some teams out there that are crazy enough to just be like, "I'm not worried about it. I don't care." He wants 500 million. Sure, here's the check. Let's go. Let's do this. Um, kind of thinking about the San Diego Padres out there. They're, they're a team that could go out and do it. Maybe Rafal's Yankees could do it, considering that they're last in the AL East, and the fan base is not happy. Obviously, the fan base is not happy with Brian Cashman. They could use a Shohei Otani to kind of help their roster. Sure, they've got the money. I mean, why not? Why Go for it. But, um, again, we'll see what happens this offseason. We'll see what comes with the rest of his UCLA UCL injury for Otani and how that affects him this offseason. In fact, I think it's going to also play a part in where he decides to go too. Is you know, are there teams that are out there that say, "Hey, we'll pay you the money you want, but you're not pitching for us," you know, because you've had one Tommy John and you might be headed towards the second one. We just don't want you pitching. We just want you in the lineup to bat. To bat. I don't think there's really any organization that that will say that. I think they know what they're getting with him. But you know, could a change of scenery? really hamper Otani and, you know, not have him be who he's, we've known him to be now uh, because they want to manage his innings a little bit. We saw how that didn't really work out for him, you know, previously with the Angels. Now they've kind of taken the, the you know, the proverbial reins off. They said, Otani, you go do you, you tell us how you feel and we'll adjust accordingly. Um, it's really had great success. 
but you know now he's going to be coming off another injury. Our team's going to say, okay, Otani, you're going to be on this kind of a schedule, and this is how we're going to do it, and could that hamper him again? Just something else to think of and consider when looking at Otani in this upcoming offseason, what ultimately he decides to do. He's obviously very comfortable with the LA Angels. They know him the best. And can they convince him that they'll put a winning club together and make the playoffs and get him to stick around? All of this is to be determined, and we'll see it in the future. Moving over to a more interesting topic of note. Obviously, we talked about Strasburg and his retirement, Otani, and his unfortunate injury and how it's going to affect him the rest of the season and the offseason, we're going to move over to a much more enjoyable topic. At least I think it's going to be much more enjoyable. And that, of course, is going to be our replacement level team. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we talk about replacement level being the name of the show. And the idea is talking about replacement level players. Players, obviously, have a bad uh, you know, bad couple weeks at the plate or on the mound and how, you know, ultimately they are a guy that is, you know, you could consider replacing with a bench guy or somebody else that would give you a better productivity than what this player is currently doing. We all know a couple weeks sample size is a very small sample size. We know that players go through slumps and hot streaks and all that. So it all ends up evening out in the end. But, you know, again, it is fun to kind of point out players who are struggling because we look at, you know, guys at the end of the season, their numbers and their stats, and it's like, wow, they're just amazing. It's incredible what they're doing. You know, for example, we looked at Aaron Judge's season last year with the home runs they put up, and it's like, wow, it's incredible. I guarantee you Aaron Judge had a, a two-week stretch in there where he was not the Aaron Judge that we know him to be on how he finished last season. And again, that's all normal for the course of a Major League Baseball season. Guys go through highs and lows. It's about riding it out, and you'll eventually get back to where we all know you to be. But there are teams this season that are doing very, very bad overall wins-loss-wise. Um, and you know, at this point, my thinking is, okay, we're pretty much getting to the end of the season. These, play these teams are mostly eliminated for playoff contention. And, of course, I'm talking about your Oakland A's, your Kansas City Royals, your Colorado Rockies, your St. Louis Cardinals, Washington Nationals, and Rafal's New York Yankees. Granted, the Yankees aren't officially eliminated yet. They could catch a hot streak and make it into the third wild card spot, but it's not really looking good for them in that front. So, um, again, they're not officially eliminated. They could make it in, but the rest of those guys, the other five teams, they're pretty much done. They're not going to make the playoffs at this point in time. They're so far down, uh, only in their division standings, and then also in the wild card standings and everything. Like they're they're done. They're you know most of their fan base is looking towards the future and looking towards guys that are being called up and seeing what guys could potentially be a part of this rotation or rotation and roster moving forward, but basically building blocks, if you will. So as I mentioned, the A's, Royals, Rockies, Cards, Nationals, Yanks are the six worst teams from worst to least worst. Um, and today we're going to talk about the Washington Nationals. Their team, like I talked about earlier with Strasburg, who won a World Series not too long ago. So they've obviously won at the highest level. Uh, their manager, Davey Martinez, is just recently got a contract extension with the Nationals as well. So obviously the organization likes what they're seeing from him in this, you know, kind of troubling time and over the last couple of years since the Nationals have kind of unloaded a lot of their star talent and looking towards a, a rebuild. Like we saw it after they won the World Series, you know, there was always this this cloud, if you will, hanging over them, like, okay, this team's going to have to eventually be torn down and this whole 
things have to be rebuilt because we've got older players, a lot of money tied up in them, and we're not going to be able to spend money to get you know other quality pieces around them in order to continue to win. You know, Anthony Rendon was a free agent. Obviously, he left to take big money with the LA Angels, and that didn't work out. So you know, money can't buy you success, I guess. Um, but we knew this was coming for the Nationals, and we knew it was going to take some time for them to get back on track. And I'm here to tell you that they're on the right track. They are moving forward. They are a team that I'm still not expecting to make the playoffs next year, but they have some pieces in place. They are doing some good things, and this is a team, Nationals fans out there, that you got to get excited about. They're probably going to finish last in the division again next season, but again, what you're looking for is is building blocks, players that you can continue to build a team around, and players that can fit the ultimate goal of winning a World Series and kind of fit a roster that's going to work well together. And, you know, just some things to highlight here on the Nationals, over the last 10 games, they are 6-4. and four. Not bad. But it is a winning record. You know, obviously people want to see them a little bit better. But looking a little bit deeper, and this is where you really can kind of get excited about them because this is a really good thing to do. In extra inning games, the Nationals are 4-1. and one. And as we know, in extra inning games, everybody gets a, a runner to start on second base. And you would think with a runner starting on second base, a base hit should be able to score them, and you should always, you know, teams should almost always get a at least one run in those extra innings. As we've seen, that's not always the case because bullpens are really, really good, and it's really hard to A, hit the ball, and B, drive in a guy from second base. So the fact that the Nationals are 4-1 in extra innings games, meaning that they've been that many times going to extras, that shows they've played some competitive baseball and that in those times when you've kind of got to bear down and make things happen, when you've got to get one run in or you've got to shut down the opposing team for three outs, they're doing it. They've got some guys in there that have been able to make that be a success for them. And that's something that is not easy to do. I mean, even, you know, winning ball clubs, you know, that's still, you'll see them still blow games in extra innings and stuff like that. And so it's nice to do the fact that the Washington, the Nationals are four and one. That's something to keep in mind that this is a team that kind of knows how to take care of business when games are tight. Speaking of tight games, in one run games on this year, the Nationals are 19 and 18. Again, nice to see that they're over 500. It's nice to see that in those crunch times, they are getting the job done. Again, it's very hard to do, very hard to execute because there's so much more pressure on everybody. There's more pressure on the pitcher to throw strikes and get out. There's more pressure on the batters to get hits and score runs. And not everybody, when you add that pressure, can handle it. You know, Part of the reason we see greatness and why we talk about greatness in players is because in those high-pressure moments, everyone thinks they've raised their game. In, in reality, is they don't. They, they can they just stay where they are, where everyone else feels that pressure and gets tight and they kind of you know start doing things out of character. Maybe they try to throw a little bit harder and ends up you know tweaking their delivery to where they're yanking pitches or they're leaving pitches out over the plate or walking more batters. You know batters, they're wanting to be maybe a little bit more selective on, on the pitch that they're looking for or pitch that they're trying to hit. And we see him taking called third strikes or we see him trying to expand the zone because they really want to get that hit to be the guy. And now they're swinging at things that are way off the plate that they have no business swinging at because it's a ball. Um, so again, 
the great players, they don't do basically they just don't do anything different. They just keep doing what they normally do, and everyone thinks they've raised the game. And in reality, like I said, they just they don't succumb to the pressure, and that's that is not easy to do. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can succeed in it. Look at closers that that they go out there every night basically, and they have to deal with that pressure, and it's not an easy job for guys to do. And that's why you see so many bullpen arms get dealt at trade deadlines because they want you know closers on bad teams are very valuable on good teams because they need somebody out there that can go and deal with that high pressure and be successful so again the nationals and four are four and one in extra inning games they're 19 and eight 19 and 18 in one run games so in these high pressure situations in these very like clutch moments Nationals coming through with success, and that's really good to see for a really young team because it's something that takes time to develop and to get comfortable at and, and being successful. And so those are some good signs for the Nationals. Some more good signs for the Nationals are since July 14th, basically coming out of the All-Star break, the Nationals are 22-15, and 15, seven games over 500. Again, that's way better than what they currently are right now. So Kudos for them coming out of the break, you know, being successful. And again, this is a young team that is finding success. Maybe it's because they're young and they're a little more durable, and that's why they're able to be a little bit fresher and have much more success. Maybe it's because they've kind of really settled into facing major league pitching and they've they found a group. Who knows exactly? But they are finding success. And more specifically, since we've turned to the month of August, they're 13-7. and seven. So they're having by far the best month of their season out there, and it's not even close. Now, a bit of a concern for them in this month, they're still giving up more runs than they're scoring, which, again, as we talked about in some past episode, run differentials can be misleading because you can beat someone 1-0 and then turn around and lose the next game 5-0, and now you have a negative four run differential, and it looks bad. But, you know, in reality, you, you played good baseball or you just, you know, you had a bad game, whatever the case may be. So run differential, little misleading, but it is something to kind of keep an eye on because that means there are a lot of close games out there or there's kind of scraping to get enough runs across, which again is something that you'd like to see them score more runs. But again, this is a young team that is ascending and is on the upward trajectory and kind of be expected. But nevertheless, Ultimately, it doesn't matter how many runs you score. It's a matter of how many wins you get. And the Nationals are winning games. And that's ultimately what's important. Also, some key, we're going to you know, specify some building blocks here, some key players for the Nationals moving forward. And again, we're going to take all these stats based off of coming out of the All-Star break. So again, based off since July 14th, C.J. Abrams, the star, one of the star players, these star player really in that Juan Soto trade that came over from from the Padres, he's batting 260, six home runs, 13 RBIs, 19 stolen bases, caught one time, one time. So he's 19 of 20 on stolen bases, eight walks, 25 strikeouts. If you kind of watched Abrams, that's just something that's going to be a part of his game. I don't ever see him being a high walk guy, low strikeout, anything like that. It's something he needs to get better at for sure. That's a big strikeout to walk ratio, but, you know, I think it's part of who he is. And so you kind of have to accept that. Unfortunately, his big thing is he's going to hit a few home runs. He's going to steal a lot of bases. He's going to play really good shortstop. He's got a 757 OPS as well, which is really good. So 
Again, this is a guy that right now he's a shortstop. If they have somebody in the minors that they feel better about, or maybe they go out in free agency and get somebody that they feel can handle shortstop better, I think Abrams could slide over to second base and be you know, one of the best second basemen in the leagues. But this is a guy that definitely can play in the infield. He's shown he can play. And now we're seeing his bat kind of come to life and kind of seeing a lot of the hype that everyone had around him kind of come to fruition. So great for that. That's got to make the, the Nationals organ, fan base and organization feel really good. Another big name player that came over in that same deal is Mackenzie Gore. Now, he was a guy way, way back for the Nationals that was thought to be one of their top prospects, one of their frontline starters, had some ups and downs in the minors, Seems to got things right in San Diego and was shipped over to Washington. Again, since the fourth, he started in seven games. He's gone two and three, pitched 37 and two-thirds innings, struck out 37 batters, walked 14, has an ERA of 4.30. But here's the good thing. The opponents are batting only 214 against him. So while he's striking guys out, he's also limiting hits and guys being able to hit off of him, which is nice. Um... According to FIP, basically that ERA should probably be a little bit higher. He's kind of getting some luck in there. But, you know, luck is a part of the game. It's going to happen. But, you know, it is nice to see Gore being successful. I think he could still be the front-line guy for this organization. May, maybe not an ace, maybe like a 1A type of a pitcher. Like he's the guy because we don't have any better, but he's better off being a number two guy on, you know, on another team. We'll see. But again, he's a young guy. He's having some success at the major league level. He's definitely a player that the organization is hoping to build their pitching staff around. And he's kind of having a good season overall as well and kind of having a good good month of August. A player who isn't, you know, he's young. He can still fit probably their timeline, but maybe not not a... Um, a building block necessarily is Stone Garrett. This is a guy who's batting 288, three home runs, 16 RBIs, 12 walks, 29 strikeouts, and an 888 OPS. So this is a guy that finally get an opportunity, and he's he's thriving with it, and that's what every player wants. They just want an opportunity to showcase what they can do, and he's getting it, and he's having success, and good for him. And I kind of like the name, Stone, Stone Garrett. Like, it's it's unique. I'm a big fan of unique names, and you see those a lot in baseball. I, I can tell you in going to a lot of the minor leagues games here in Indianapolis, there was a player that eventually made the majors for Oakland. His name was Jaff, not Jeff, Jaff, J-A-F-F, Jaff Decker. I mean, that's a unique name. That's pretty awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of Stone Garrett as a name. Another player that came over from the Padres, or I'm sorry, from the Dodgers, excuse me, from the Dodgers that was thought to be a big Big piece behind the backstop for the Dodgers. Obviously, they had Will Smith, so that's part of the reason why he got moved, is Kiebert Ruiz. Again, this is another guy that is developing behind the plate, both offensively and defensively, and having success. He's batting 333, six home runs, 20 RBIs, one stolen base, caught one time, so, you know, maybe not the best, but still, stolen base from catcher, not something you see all the time, so good on him. This is what is really nice. 12 walks. 12 strikeouts. That's fantastic. A nine, a 0.946 OPS as well. So this is a guy that's having a great month, or not even a month, like longer than a month, um, like a month and a half almost, finishing the year strong, obviously doing good work behind, behind the plate as well. And that's kind of really what you want to – every team loves to have a guy who can be behind the plate, be an asset defensively, calling games, but then also bring it offensively. And Kiebert Ruiz is – fully living up to his expectations right now so good on him 
A couple other players that I want to highlight for the Nationals that we'll see where they go. They they could still be a part of it. I don't know if they're building blocks. I think it's debatable. And that is Josiah Gray. Again, came over from the Dodgers. He's having a good year. Not so much since the All-Star break. You know, is fatigue getting to him? Is the guys have finally kind of figured him out? Is he just kind of in a bad funk? I'm not sure exactly, but he's not having a strong second half. Another guy is Lane Thomas. He's also not having a strong second half, but again, having a good overall year. Both those guys, I think, will be a part of the organization and should be a part of the team as they're building it. I think it's just maybe they need to be looked at uh, differently, you know, and specifically looking at Gray. Is he a guy that is something you should have in the rotation, maybe in your top three. He's something that should be more of a back-end guy, and maybe you just we want five innings out of him, and then we'll turn to the bullpen. Or is it something where maybe we need to think about putting him in the pen and just letting him use his you know nasty stuff that he's got there to just strike guys out? I don't know. I don't know if we're there yet to kind of have that bull, moving him to the bullpen conversation. He's still fairly young. He has improved from the last couple of years. And like I said, he's having a good year overall. So is this just a bad month and a half stretch for him? Uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's going on with him. But he is a couple – those are two guys that I think should still be considered a, a core of it, but obviously maybe something that um, needs to be looked at and how the team views them as they move forward. One final guy here that is having a very, very good year – I don't know if he really fits that timeline. He is 31. Everybody else that I've talked about is kind of 27 and younger. Um, so I don't know if Joey Manessis is a guy that the team really wants to kind of keep and think, yeah, he's a building block. Or if they just want to say, you know, this is a guy that's good. We'll keep him until his contract's up. And then, you know, we'll, we'll move We'll move on from uh, I'm not sure. But again, he's having a very good season overall. And not only that, he's having a very good second half. He's currently batting 276, five home runs, 23 RBIs, 11 walks, 25 strikeouts, and a 775 OPS. So again, this is a guy that's having a good season for the Nationals. They can definitely use it. Uh, ultimately, if they, the Nationals are looking at Manessis and saying he's not a guy that we're going to build around moving forward, Maybe he's a guy that can trade and can continue to have success in trades and finding good players to get in in trade returns. I mean, that's the biggest thing and reason as to why the Nationals turn things around is because they have hit on their trades and getting guys back in return that are going to be stars at the major league level and have success. So that's the easiest way to kind of turn things around. The Nationals are doing a fantastic job of doing that. Could Manessis be another guy that gets moved? He's probably not going to yield a, a high return. But I think he's a guy that could return, I don't know, maybe somebody who turns into a very solid offensive player, you know, somebody who can play every day, or maybe a solid bullpen arm to like closer or maybe a solid mid-rotation kind of guy. We'll see. But at the same point in time, I don't think the Nationals necessarily need to move Manessas. He's having a good year. I think they can keep him you know, till his contract runs out. And speaking of contracts, the other nice point for the Nationals are they don't have a lot of money tied up in a lot of their players and specifically a lot of their young talent, the guys I just talked about in there. I believe Lane Thomas is the first one whose contract is going to be up, and that's not till 2025 or 2026, I believe. So this is a young team that doesn't have a lot of money tied up in their big-name players, their stars, they can go out and spend this offseason and next offseason and bring in some veterans that can fit 
and ultimately help push this team into making the playoffs if they want to. I don't think they necessarily need to try and go back into the playoffs and be big spenders this offseason. I think just let things continue to grow organically the way that they are currently. But if, let's say, the Nationals have a surprise breakout season like we kind of saw from the Reds or we've seen from the Orioles, you know, where it's like no one's talking about them, boom, we look at it like, oh, my gosh, this team is doing really good. They could make some noise. The Nationals have the money to go out and make some moves in the offices and then get some big pieces to help them take the next step over. So we'll see what they do. But again, we want to talk about replacement level teams. The Washington Nationals are my team. They're on the ascent. So baseball fans out there, keep an eye out for the Nationals as they are moving forward. They are on the rise. But again, until next week, uh, stay tuned. We've got some really good shows coming up in the future. Got some really good guests coming on as well. More of that you know, will come as we get these guys booked and everything like that. But for now, continue to follow us. Like, subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify. Like us there as well. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Replacement Level 1. Follow myself at C underscore Phillips underscore 13. Follow Rafal Negnowinski on Twitter as well. So until next time, guys, have a great day. Tell your friends about us and see you.